Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behavior, sleep, and more. Parenting can be one of the most challenging and rewarding things you will do in life, and yet it's full of conflicting feelings. Love, joy, despair, guilt. The School of Life recently released a book called The Joys and Sorrows of Parenting. It's a book of 26 small essays, and I'm quoting here from the book. It says it's there to provide understanding of and consolation for the trials of parenting. John Armstrong is a philosopher and faculty member of the School of Life, and he joins us on the phone from Tasmania. Hi, John. How are you? Hello. I'm really well, thanks. What is it about philosophy itself that can help parents? Well, I think philosophy is taking a sort of broad view of our experience. It's aiming at being at being wise, digesting the lessons of experience. It's not so much that philosophy comes up with really technical, surprising suggestions. It's rather trying to pull together the different bits of wisdom that our society has accumulated over a long time. So um, just looking at this book, there is an essay about romanticism, which I'm not sure many parents would couple with their thoughts on parenting. How does romanticism affect the way we look at parenting? Yeah, Um, look, it's so understandable. It's just that the word romanticism here is used to refer to a big, big movement of ideas that started coming in the very, very end of the 18th century. Uh, in France and Germany and became a sort of big, powerful view of life, really. And we're the inheritors of this view of life, although we tend not to, you know, label it that way. So romanticism really had this a very idealized picture of human nature and particularly of children as naturally beautiful and good and lovely and It was very against authority. It was very against rules. He thought that nature always knows best and tended to be on, as it were, on the side of the child against the parent. It's become a very sort of standard way of looking at the world. It means that the burden of being a parent is very great. That is, we're aiming at bringing out everything that's wonderful in our child, not, not... interfering, not not doing anything wrong. We have this huge task. But at the same time, we have very, very few resources for, for guiding our children. We can't lecture them. We can't punish them. We can't scold them. We can't tell them what to do. We can't <laughs> insist. And so, so you get the picture that there's this contrast. Romanticism is really a sort of specialized historical name for this contrast between the idea a very ambitious idea of how wonderful children can be and how fabulous a life can be if only it's allowed to develop freely and at the same time putting this burden on parents. And so I think we are inheritors of a romantic conception of parenting. And you just mentioned their authority. So that idea that we're the inheritors of romanticism and we've got this ideal way of looking at our children and what they should get mm. out of life, yeah. that, that seems like a big conflict for parents today in terms of how we discipline children. And you're saying that that's part of that inheritance, are you? Absolutely. I think it's good 
to give this historical perspective because it means that, you know, we're not just faced with an incomprehensible task. We can see why we've got certain kinds of problems. So the idea of authority, in a curious way, made parenting much easier in the past. I mean, so it's a really distinctive thing of modern experience that it's incredibly hard work being a parent, but it wasn't in the past. Parents told their children what to do, and if the children didn't do it, they would be punished, and there wouldn't be a rebellion after that, and just, it was so much simpler. <laughs> now, now the reason, we don't do that for quite good reasons, but at the same time, it has made the task so much more difficult. So, so we have fantasies of things like, uh, well, we will... We will try to persuade our children, we will <laughs> give them the explanations, we'll show them, we'll remain patient, we'll just gently nudge them in one direction or another. But this is going to take, you know, half an hour just to, you know, get them dressed in the morning when a few generations ago, the parent wouldn't have had any trouble at all. They'd just get your clothes on, da da da, and it's all done. Um, there is a really lovely essay in the book about appreciation. Yes. What is it about parenthood that can teach us to be appreciative of the moment? Well, I think one of the things is that we become very attuned to seeing the world through the eyes of our young children. And that's incredibly helpful because they are so alive to delights and beauties and wonders that we've long forgotten. So to a child, a puddle, you know, a puddle in the street can be something fascinating and wonderful and it's a whole little world, imaginative world of what this is and it's a lake or it's the ocean or it's a, a hole into another universe and all sorts of things. And for them, this, to us, deeply boring and annoying, <laughs> kind of utterly neglectable object is revealed as, as, as full of fascination and potential and children do this all the time an orange you know the peel of an orange becomes some fascinating thing and you can give a personality to a flower or you can do you turn a table into into a ship and everything is full of is full of potential and we're learning this from our children it's it's their excitement that is leading us back to as it were re-enchant the world and so we have this opportunity to, to really love and appreciate things that otherwise would just pass us by. Tell me about the good enough parent. Well this is a, a fascinating idea that comes from a British psychoanalyst from the mid-20th century who we very much admire at the School of Life uh, called Donald Winnicott and uh, he uh, specialised in parents who were having trouble with their children and he was very struck by how in a sense, how good the parents were. They had these very difficult children, but, they, but the parents meant so well, and they were so anxious about their child's problems and so determined to, to put everything right. But it really, it really struck Winnicott that, that, in a way, what the parents often needed to do was adjust their expectations. Their child wasn't perfect, but actually... They were okay. The parents were far from perfect, but the situation overall was all right. That the parents were getting themselves really into a kind of knotty, sort of muddled sense of frustration because they wanted to be 
perfect parents. And Winnicott realized that it was this understandably kind of quite noble sounding ambition that was actually the cause of the problems. Any little defect, any little thing that went wrong would become a big issue. But also the parents were forgetting the kind of the, the, the rough and tumble of existence will continue forever. That there isn't a passage from being the perfect child to being the perfect adult. Coping as an adult means being able to manage all sorts of things that don't go very well, but are good enough. So I think he was on something really important in foregrounding this phrase, that it's good enough. You know, the behavior of the child might not be absolutely everything that you want, but it's good enough. You as a parent make quite a few mistakes. You get things wrong. You say the wrong thing. You don't always give the best attention. But overall, it's good enough. And I think Winnicott was offering us a really, really helpful line of thinking there. And finally, why are disagreements between parents about the way we parent so fraught? Well, I mean, because, because we love our children so much and we, we think that it really matters. So one parent might be a bit stricter and the other is by nature a bit more forgiving, a bit more relaxed. One parent has a particular view about education and school and another parent another parent's more skeptical about that ah, doesn't really matter so much or the parent's devotion to the child is so strong that this feeds into the conflict with their co-parent and i think that it comes as a shock because at the beginning it's such a marvelous thing that you're doing together you know, together you've created this new life and you've seen them through the beginning and you're so devoted and you both love this child so much and it really brings you together. And then you start to encounter points where you have a different vision of the kind of childhood you hope your child will have, the things that you think are really important to emphasize or that don't matter so much, what an appropriate bedtime is, how much entertainment is a good idea. And the parents can't just easily say, oh, well, we disagree on this because it's, it's a kind of immediate, constant issue and it feels terribly important. So I think that rather than saying, oh, look, here's a great way of resolving this, one of the things we should do is just accept that this is going to happen. This kind of painful disagreement is just part of sharing the experience of being a parent with someone else. John, thank you so much for your time today. It's such a fascinating book. My pleasure. That was John Armstrong. He's a philosopher and faculty member of the School of Life. The book, The Joys and Sorrows of Parenting, is out now. For more information, check out the link in the description of this episode of Feed, Play, Love. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced by Elise Cooper and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. You can get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.